This is Daryl Wood, host of Run to Win, the Daryl Wood Show on Faith Talk 1500. First, let me say this show is your show. That's why no matter what I discuss or which guests I interview, your input is valued. If it's in the news, on TV, or at the movies, whether political, social, economic, or whatever, at some point I'm talking about it on Run to Win, the Daryl Wood Show, Monday through Thursday from 4 to 6 p.m. on Faith Talk 1500. We are live via Skype from an undisclosed location utilizing Hillary Clinton's email server. Ensconced in the Augustine of Hippo chair here in the Center for the Study of God and Culture. It's Good Friday with Paul Edwards, and we welcome you to it wherever you happen to be all across southeastern Michigan, northwest Ohio, and parts of Ontario, Canada. You know, we're, uh, we're just, it's hard to believe, uh, just a little more than one week away from the Michigan primary. Democrats, Republicans will uh, go to the polls uh, a week from this coming Tuesday to decide uh, who Michigan would like to see as the respective Democrat and uh, Republican nominee to uh, president of the United States. And so uh, I'd really be interested in knowing from you if you've settled on a candidate yet. I mean, you've got less than 10 days to do it. Uh, but have you settled on a candidate yet, uh, whether it uh, is Bernie Sanders, Hillary Clinton on the Democrat side uh, or Donald Trump, uh, Ted Cruz, Marco Rubio, John Kasich, Ben Carson on the Republican side. We're going to open the phone lines here uh, at the beginning of the uh, 4 o'clock hour to hear from you. 866-423-9578. 866-423-WLQV is the uh, phone number to engage. And I really do want to hear from all sides. I, I have not yet settled uh, on a candidate. I'm not even going to tell you, unless you follow me on Facebook, you might know who I'm leaning toward uh, or Twitter. Uh, but I'm not even going to let you know uh, where I'm at. Uh, I'm going to make up my mind probably this weekend. And I, I think by next Friday, I'll be able to uh, open this program and tell you uh, who I am going to cast my vote for uh, in the uh, in the Michigan primary a week from this coming Tuesday. Uh, so you really could convince me uh, if uh, if you're really committed to your candidate, uh, you really have an opportunity to co- uh, to uh, convince me uh, why I should uh, take the time to drive my automobile in the Michigan weather out to the polls uh, and vote for uh, the candidate of your choosing. 866-423-WLQV, the phone number, 866-423-9578. I, I will tell you this. I am I am completely bewildered as to why Donald Trump uh, is getting the the love that he is getting from evangelical voters. Of course, we all know that a, a month or so ago he was uh, it's, it's probably been longer than that now. Uh, he was at Liberty University, uh, and a week later, Jerry Falwell Jr., the president of that esteemed university, endorsed Donald Trump for president of the United States. I'm just bewildered by that. I, I am, I'm, I'm a bit uh, perplexed as to why uh, Donald Trump, uh, given his moral character, I mean, the man's been divorced and remarried three times, uh, given his mouth, his, his language isn't always all that pretty, given his arrogance, I mean, you talk about somebody that doesn't display uh, the, the Christian virtue of humility right off the top, 
Uh, that's Donald Trump. And, and I'm trying to figure out what the appeal is to evangelicals. Why is it that, that evangelicals are, are committed so feverishly uh, to Donald Trump? And maybe you're one of them. Uh, and maybe you could help me understand why uh, evangelical Christians are drawn to Donald Trump. 866-423-9578, 866-423-WLQV. The, uh, the, 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 the gang at, uh, at Morning Joe, and if you listen to this program, you know that the only morning news program I watch is Morning Joe, MSNBC, 6 a.m. to 9 a.m., uh, that's where I settle in uh, every morning. Uh, and yesterday, it wasn't yesterday, it was the day before yesterday. Uh, you've got Mika and, uh, and Joe Scarborough. Uh, of course, Joe Scarborough, former uh, Republican congressman. Uh, Mika Brzezinski, the daughter of Zbigniew Brzezinski, who was in the Carter, I think the Carter administration. Uh, I think he was his secretary of state, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so you've got you've got Mika on the very liberal side. You've got Joe, who's really a moderate uh, a moderate Republican. Uh, you've got Mike Barnacle, uh, who began his career as a sports reporter in uh, in uh, Boston, but has really, I think, become quite the astute political observer. And then Harold Ford Jr., uh, who is a former Democratic congressman, I think, from the state of Illinois, but now. He is uh, a law professor up the street from us in Ann Arbor at the University of Michigan. You've got the four of these guys sitting, and gal, I should say, uh, you've got the four of them sitting around talking about the appeal of Donald Trump. Uh, and Mike Barnacle, at the very beginning here, is, uh, is leading off the conversation as to why Donald Trump not only appeals to evangelicals, but he appeals to everyone. Here, here's the clip. You know, one of the interesting things about the coverage of this uh, campaign with regard to Donald Trump is the misnomer, and it's been going on, I think, for quite some time, that part of Trump's popularity is because elements of the Republican Party are so disgusted with what the Republican Party has not done over the past few years. And if you walk around any sidewalk in this country, his popularity extends well beyond Republican Party, well beyond the Republican Party. The Strong coverage Democratic of Trump, Trump and the evangelicals has focused almost, almost exclusively for several months on, well, his values are not their values, thus he will suffer and crews will rise. But their values, I think they set their religious values to one side. They have other values right. that Trump, whether you like it or not, he encompasses them because of the but those other values that the evangelicals have are informed by their by their yeah. by their faith values. And he, he, although he can't quote the Bible necessarily correctly, he does two Corinthians correctly. Oh, there's that. <laughs> he does speak to the values, and Joe, you could attest to this. I mean, the values that evangelicals have, and he speaks to <laughs> strong foreign policy, a stronger America, a stronger economy, not negotiating away America strength. Those are things that he, he preaches you know, about I, and talks about. And I think it's in line with evangelicals. I said this several months ago, whenever I campaigned, would go into a church. I'd say, don't vote for me because I'm the best Christian. I'm not. Vote for me because I, I know who you are. I understand your values. I grew up in this church. I, you know, I understand what's important to you, and I'll go up there and I'll fight for you. I think we have the same exact thing here where people go, okay, do I want a guy that runs around voting Bible verses all the time? Or do, I want, or do I want a guy who basically says, hey, this is who I am, warts and all, but I'm going to go up and I'm going to beat the hell out of anybody that tries to 
undermine your, your what's important to you. It's, that's an easy vote for evangelicals, yep. and there's always been this, you know, the media, since the, the moral majority is always painted evangelicals and Christian coalition people as people that just mindlessly go and vote for who they're told. No, right. they vote for their own self-interest just like everybody else. Let, let me let me step to Donald Trump's defense on this whole two Corinthians thing for just a moment. Uh, you hear Harold Ford uh, Jr. and Mike Barnacle uh, talking back and forth about that, and and uh, and you know Harold Ford Jr. is there suggesting that you know Donald Trump is appealing to the values of evangelicals, and Barnacle chimes in there and says, except for two Corinthians. And Mika, you hear in the background say, yeah, there is that. That, that is that, that is so frivolous uh, a way to try to imply that Donald Trump doesn't know the Bible. My friend Alistair Begg up the street from us in Cleveland at Parkside Church, uh, who, by the way, is heard uh, every morning right here on Faith Talk 1500 at 9 o'clock a.m. with Truth for Life, he, <laughs> every Sunday, um, well, actually, Monday or Tuesday in the week after his uh, after his uh, service on Sunday, I stream the service uh, faithfully. So by Tuesday of every week, I've listened to Alistair Begg. And did you know that this this very past Sunday, Alistair Begg uh, used the phrase? Uh, I believe it was. Uh, I think he was saying to Peter. He wasn't saying to Corinthians, but it's a very uh, British way. Uh, uh, maybe United Kingdom way of referring to biblical text. So enough of Donald Trump getting uh, razzed because he used two Corinthians at Liberty University. Second uh, Corinthians, two Corinthians, it's all the same thing. There, there are much better ways. If you, if you want to suggest that Donald Trump does not understand the virtues of Christianity, uh, all you have to do is look at his life. Uh, all you have to do is look at the way the man talks. One of the best, uh, and by the way, I'm, I'm interested in hearing from you, 866-423-9578, 866-423-WLQV. If you plan to vote for Donald Trump in the Michigan primary uh, a week from Tuesday, I'd love to hear why. Uh, not, I'm not interested in a debate. I'm not going to tell you you're a fool for doing so. I am genuinely perplexed as to what the appeal of Donald Trump is to evangelical Christians. 866-423-9578. Last week, um, Michael Gerson, uh, and you all know who Michael Gerson is. Michael Gerson was the chief uh, speechwriter for George W. Bush, and now uh, he writes regularly for the Washington Post. And if you're, if you're not a regular reader of, uh, of uh, Michael Gerson's Post column, let me be the uh, one to point you to it. Uh, but last week in his uh, regular column, under the heading Donald Trump and the politics of the of the middle finger, uh, Michael Gerson tries to parse the appeal of Donald Trump to evangelicals. He says Donald Trump seems on the verge of primary victories concentrated in the South that would establish him as a formidable frontrunner. And this has happened despite a series of disqualifying comments from Trump, ridiculing a war hero, John McCain, employing misogynist humor against Megyn Kelly, mocking a disabled reporter, displaying ignorance on basic policy matters, slandering the last Republican president in the South Carolina debate. Yeah, you recall that um, 
that Donald Trump basically became a 9-11 truther uh, by blaming uh, 9-11 on uh, George W. Bush. But uh, Gerson rightly points out that none of these things, at least in the eyes of the voter or the ear of the voter, have been disqualifying at all for Donald Trump. Why has this happened, Gerson asked. Trump is not leading because he has masked his ideas, which have been consistent and forthright. He would, he says, build a Mexican-funded wall across the continent, expel 11 million undocumented immigrants, blow up the global trading order, send Syrian refugees back into a war zone, ban the immigration of Muslims to the United States, and consider a Muslim registry. No one who supports Trump, writes Michael Gerson, can say they didn't know the ethnically and religiously charged content of Trumpism. Yet it is Trump's style, his defiance of convention and political correctness, that seems to explain the intensity of his support. One Trump supporter in South Carolina said, we're voting with our middle finger. All of the institutions that have failed, failed to stop Barack Obama, failed to save the United States from adulteration, corruption, and destruction should be overturned. Burn, baby, burn. This is how Michael Gerson in the Washington Post characterizes the mindset of those who are supporting Donald Trump. He continues, this approach to politics has not normally been associated with conservatism, which uh, teaches prudence, proportion, and respect for institutions, even if they require reform. No, typical conservatism is out the window among Republicans uh, this time around. Now it's what Gerson has rightly, I think, framed the political philosophy of the middle finger, captured by Trump in all its vulgar taunting, divisive glory. It assumes, that pra- it assumes that practices we know are wrong in our private lives, contempt, mockery, cruelty, prejudice, are somehow justified in our political lives. It requires us to embrace views and tactics that we would never teach our children, but do in fact teach them through an ethically degraded politics. Imagine your teenage son, or daughter for that matter, calling a woman a fat pig, dog, or disgusting. Imagine your child labeling someone he or she knows as a loser, moron, or dummy. These are all words and phrases that Donald Trump has used at one time or another during this campaign. Uh, Directed vulgar directives at at hu- other human beings is this christian is 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 this how a christian talks my goodness 2 corinthians doesn't doesn't even come close to to demonstrating the lack of christian character that donald trump is displaying now look it's not up to me or the pope to decide whether or not donald trump is a christian not up to me or donald trump or or the pope I don't have it within my ability to discern whether or not Donald Trump uh, is a Christian. He says he is. He says he's a Presbyterian. Uh, He wants to put the offering in the communion plate, but he says he's a Presbyterian. All you have to do is look at his life and ask yourself, uh, is this the kind of Christian virtue that you want your pastor to display, your son to display? 
your your child's teacher to display there are there are people in authoritative positions uh in our children's lives where if they talked the way that Donald Trump talks on the campaign trail uh we would block their ears and and uh, make every effort uh to remove these people from any position of influence in our children's lives and yet when it comes to our politics we tend to be very happy to embrace uh Donald Trump Michael Gerson in his piece says this is the evidence of poor character in any context. For Christians, the price of entry to the Trump movement is to abandon their commitments to kindness and love of neighbor, which would mean that their faith has no public consequence at all. 866-423-9578 is our phone number. 866-423-WLQV. When we continue... Carl Truman is uh, going to join me here on Good Friday with Paul Edwards. Carl uh, is a professor of historical theology and church history. He holds the Paul Woolley Chair of Church History at Westminster Theological Seminary uh, in, uh, in California. He's a uh, regular blogger at Reformation 21, the co-host of the very popular blog, uh, or rather podcast, Mortification of Spin, and the author of a book you ought to read, Republicrat, Confessions of a Liberal Conservative. We're going to have a conversation with Professor Truman coming up about the, um, the nature, the, the context of, uh, of our political debate uh, in, 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 the present, uh, in the present culture, in the, in the present political cycle. Carl Truman, when Good Friday with Paul Edwards continues. Alex Chediak is a college professor, and he knows what he's talking about when he says there are ways to go to college while minimizing debt. On the next Focus on the Family, he'll offer wisdom and practical advice for both parents and young adults. That's next time on Focus on the Family with Jim Daly. Listen to Focus on the Family, weekday mornings at 9.30 on Faith Talk 1500. This is Pastor Emory Moss, Jr., your friendly neighborhood apologist. Join me each and every weekday from 6 to 7 p.m. on Faith Talk 1500. We discuss all things biblical and give you challenges to test your biblical knowledge. Don't forget, we have Open Air Monday, which is always open for your Bible questions and Relationship Wednesday. That's Bible Talk weekdays at 6 p.m. right here on Faith Talk 1500. Perhaps you've wanted to tell a neighbor, a co-worker, or loved one about Christ, but you lost your nerve, backed away, and you kept silent. How can you overcome your fears and live unashamed of the gospel? Join us for the next Grace to You with John MacArthur as he presents more of a study called Not Being Ashamed of Christ. That's next time on Grace to You. So join me, John MacArthur, and study along on Grace to You weekday mornings at 8 here on WLQV. Our law enforcement officers face great danger. They put their lives on the line for each of us every day. At Faith Talk 1500, we appreciate these men and women. Help us stand with our brave police officers and adopt a cop today. Be a prayer warrior for our men and women in uniform who sacrifice for us all. Visit faithtalk1500.com to learn more. Click on the Adopt a Cop link or type in keyword COP. Proudly sponsored by attorney Robert Fortunate. 
Proclaim 16, the NRB 2016 International Christian Media Convention takes place February 23 through 26 in Nashville, Tennessee. Join thousands of Christian communicators, authors, pastors, and ministry leaders. Hear innovative speakers Rick Warren, Eric Metaxas, and Ann Graham Lotz. Learn about emerging technology and effective web-based ministries. Worship with singers Michael W. Smith, The Gettys, and Jordan Smith, winner of The Voice. See and hear presidential candidates Donald Trump, Ted Cruz, Jeb Bush, Marco Rubio, Ben Carson, and more. Sign up for the Digital Media Summit and hear from John Acuff and other social media experts. Attend the Film Summit on Friday, February 26, and hear from world-renowned experts on filmmaking. If ministry is your passion, then join us in Nashville, February 23 through 26 for the NRB Convention. For all the details, visit nrbconvention.org. That's nrbconvention.org. Dr. Carl Truman is a professor of historical theology and church history at Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia, author of uh, the new book, Republocrat, Confessions of a Liberal Conservative, uh, where he writes in the introduction, the primary reason why I agreed to write this book is my belief that the evangelical church in America is in danger of alienating a significant section of its people, particularly younger people, through too tight a connection between conservative party politics and Christian fidelity. Uh, Dr. Carl Truman, uh, again, is a professor of historical theology and church history at Westminster, Philadelphia. And uh, Dr. Truman, it's an honor to welcome you here to the Paul Edwards program. It's a pleasure to be here, Paul. Thanks for having me on. Will it set your mind at ease at all to know that in a week I'll be sitting and listening to Bob Dylan at the University of Michigan? Bob Dylan's one of my great loves. I, I feel his voice has somewhat gone downhill recently, but I'm very impressed to hear that. <laughs> yes, I'm telling you, I'm looking forward to it. This will be the fourth time I've seen Dylan in concert with my son, and uh, I'll tell you, you're right about his voice, but uh, what an icon, eh? Oh, fantastic, yes. I have his lyrics sitting on the shelf in front of me at the moment, actually. Well, and that's the reason I bring him up, because uh, this has got to be one of the most unorthodox forwards to a book I have ever read in my life. Uh, Peter Lilback uh, writes the foreword. He says you've got uh, the memor- you've got Dylan's uh, li- lyrics memorized, but beyond that, he calls your book oxymoronic, among other things. Is this guy your friend? <laughs> oh, Peter's a very dear friend of mine. He's also my <laughs> boss. He's the president of the seminary. Uh, Pete and I get on very well together, and one of the reasons I asked him to write the foreword was part of the agenda for the book is to 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 argue that political differences shouldn't necessarily or shouldn't disrupt Christian fellowship among brothers and sisters. So uh, I I couldn't think of a better way to have my book introduced than by somebody who fundamentally disagrees with me on a whole host of points that I make in the book. Peter suitably pilloried pilloried me and beat me up uh, in the first few pages. Pilloried is putting it kindly because he says your uh, your first name should be with a K. Yes, uh, that was a bit over the top, I thought, but uh, I'll let that pass. <laughs> In all honesty, though, I could tell that this uh, this man is your friend, uh, and quite quite honestly, uh, Doctor Truman, the the kind of uh, the, the kind of uh, rapport that is evident in that uh, introduction from someone who might may find himself. Uh, clearly uh, opposite you on some of these vital issues is is exactly the kind of uh, of political engagement with uh, with those we disagree that we need in this country. Yeah, I mean I'm 
Uh, I'm aware that, that an issue like abortion is an absolute touchstone for many Christians, and that will determine how Christians vote by and large when they go into the voting booth. But one of the, the, the things I wanted to do to put across in the book was there's more to political engagement than just where you ultimately catch, uh, cast your vote. There are a whole host of issues out there on which Christians need to have thought out their position very carefully in order to be properly engaged in the, in the civic sphere. And although abortion may well be the decisive one for the way you vote, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to buy into uh, everything that a particular party puts forward as its platform. I said yesterday on this program, or maybe the day before, that there is a new generation gap. When I was growing up, the generation gap would have been defined by differences uh, between my parents, my dad and myself in styles of music. Uh, he was country western, and, uh, and I was uh, certainly beyond pop rock. I mean... Kiss and Led Zeppelin and some of the, you know, probably the same. I like you, you more and more, Paul, the more yeah. you talk. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to get you to like me. I'm trying to set you at ease here. Um, but to, I said yesterday that uh, it seems that in evangelical households, the new generation gap between parents and their children, particularly among children who've been raised to think uh, and to engage culturally and to think biblically and spiritually, the, the new generation gap is politics because you know, I'm 50 years old and uh, very conservative in my outlook, and yet my son, who's 18, would be more, uh, more, much more progressive, much more interested in environment than he is in abortion, although he's pro-life, much more interested in uh, clean water wells in Africa uh, than he is in, uh, you know, the, the debate over gay marriage. Uh, is, does this mean that the next generation is becoming more progressive, more liberal, and we failed them, or is this a good sign? Um, I think it, it would really depend upon the issue, uh, the specific issues you're looking at. Um, I certainly think that, I mean, to take the, the, the gay issue, for example, I guess when I look back on my own youth, you know, I'm, I'm now in my mid-40s, uh, the culture that I grew up in was quite definitely, one would have to say, homophobic. Um, we, homosexuals are not liked for reasons of pure bigotry, not because of any reasons of, of biblical fidelity. Uh, so, and I think that, that that has not served the new generation well. They realize that, that many of the older generation held to views that happened to coincide with the Bible, but they did so for, for reasons of, of bigotry and ignorance. Uh, what we need, I think, today is to be able to articulate the biblical position in a, in a winsome and persuasive way for the younger generation. It was an easy sell for me to, to accept the Bible's teaching on homosexuality because of the kind of culture I came from before I became a Christian. Uh, today, we need to present arguments to, for, for maintaining biblical standards in these areas in a much more well-thought-out and, and persuasive way because the cultural tide is against us, and young people are being carried along by the cultural tide, by and large. My guest is Dr. Carl Truman, professor of historical theology and church history at Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia. His latest book, Republocrat, Confessions of a Liberal Conservative. And I suppose, you know, it's obvious, uh, uh, Dr. Truman, you're not from around here. No, and I know how popular uh, it is to have British people telling Americans <laughs> about politics. Uh, you guys made that very clear in the 18th century, uh, how welcome <laughs> Um, but I do feel that there's sometimes an advantage to, to being an outsider in a culture. You can sometimes spot things that aren't there. And 
I've certainly experienced this the other way around. I have uh, a number of students who've gone to, to the United Kingdom and studied, Americans, who will contact me and, and point out things in my own culture that I was completely blind to. And I think, yeah, yeah, that is a cultural thing. That, that's not uh, the way things have to be. It's the way things have been constructed in my own culture, with which I'm so familiar, I never noticed. So I hope I, I'm making a, a small contribution as an outsider. Uh, well, and that's, that, of course, was the, the great outsider who commented on American politics. That is a, exactly my point, because an outsider can come in uh, and have a perspective that somebody on top of the situation uh, may not have. And so what are you observing in American political life that you, that you think needs some course correction? I think the, the very, uh, well, I, I think the very strong connection between a whole host of what I would consider to be conservative political uh, platforms or positions and the gospel. Um, I'm not sure, for example, that there is a distinctive Christian view on state health care. But I've certainly had people articulate to me that you know, no Christian could vote uh, for a party that wanted a national health service. And on the other side, I've had Christians say to me that no Christian could vote for uh, a party that, that um, didn't want a national health service. It seems to me on issues like that that uh, we need to realize that there is no Christian position, if you like, um, that, that the arguments can be made on both sides, and Christians can, can be persuaded by one side or the other without it necessarily indicating uh, whether they are more or less faithful to Scripture and to the Gospel or not. So I think there is, a, in American culture, there's a, a great assumption that uh, politics and theology are so intimately connected, and this is on both right and left, uh, that orthodoxy in theology must lead to a certain orthodoxy in politics as well. I think that's a cultural connection that uh, doesn't seem to work anywhere else in the world that I've been. Yeah, it, that, that's one of the, uh, the statements you made in your book that I found most interesting, Dr. Truman, that it, it, it seems to derive that if I am theologically conservative, I must therefore also be politically conservative. Um, and for the most part, uh, in the connections I run in, I run in conservative, reformed circles. I mean, I'm with guys like Piper and Moeller yeah. and, and that end of the theological spectrum. Uh, and yet Piper is at uh, Luzon. As evangelicals, is it possible to truly be both liberal and conservative? And I mean liberal in the sense, uh, in the way in which you have defined it uh, in your book, because I don't believe you, you mean liberal in the way that conservatives call Barack Obama a liberal. No. Um, uh, I'm meaning that there are, certain, there are certain policies that are associated with liberal politics, if you like, that I think a Christian can hold without it being a sign of being unfaithful to Scripture. There are certain policies associated with the liberal position that I think a Christian would not want to touch with a barge pole, pro-abortion being one of them. Um, but I certainly think that uh, a Christian could be uh, left of center. Now, having said that, I, I need to qualify that a little bit because I think uh, another part of uh, uh, the very first chapter in my book, I actually launch something of a, of a critique of the left. I think the problem with, with the left is, uh, certainly in America and increasingly in the United Kingdom, it's really been hijacked by what I would describe as middle-class identity politics. The left historically was concerned for the poor, for speaking up for those who could not speak up for themselves. 
the issues of gay marriage and abortion seem to be to be convenient policies for middle-class liberals, if I could put it that way, mm-hmm. and not really of concern to those who, who don't have a job uh, or don't have clean water. These are the people that the left should historically have been speaking up for, but as by and large, it seems to me, abandoned. So if I was to identify myself as a liberal, I guess I would say I'm identifying myself as a liberal of perhaps the late 19th or early 20th century, uh, not a liberal of the, of the modern left, uh, where the big issues are identity politics issues, for example. Um, and one of my, my, my sort of secular political heroes is uh, Nat Hentoff, who incidentally wrote the liner notes for a Bob Dylan album. So he's oh, really? a, a good guy. I never knew that. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> uh, it was the freewheeling Bob Dylan. But uh, he, Nat Hentoff was a man of the left who woke up one morning and suddenly thought, what am I doing? I, I'm a man of the left. I'm meant to speak up for those who don't have a voice. And yet I'm pro-abortion. And he switched his position and became a pro-life person precisely because he felt that he should be speaking up for those who can't speak up for themselves. And has since been, well, he's anathematized by the left because he's pro-life, and he's not very popular on the right because he's liberal on on many other social and economic policies. I know you, Dr. Truman, to be a man committed to the gospel. And uh, the thing that that strikes fear into the heart of us conservatives when we we think about the the issues of the environment, uh, the battle over gay marriage, um, the, the issue of, you know, uh, taking care of clean water wells in Africa and these social issues yeah. is that we 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 risk losing a commitment to the gospel, thinking we're yeah. doing the gospel simply because we're meeting the uh, the needs of a uh, very real needs of people. It's important to meet those needs, but it's almost as if we fear a repeat of 1920s uh, uh, social gospelism. Absolutely, and and I would at this point want to make a, a distinction between Christians as members of civil society and Christians as members of the church. I think the church's task is to preach the gospel, and the gospel is the good news that Christ has died and risen again, has ascended, and will come again in glory at the end of time. Uh, that is the gospel. Trust in Christ by faith, and your sins will be forgiven. Um, Christians, though, are not just members of the church. We're also members of civil society. And I think the, the, the impact of the gospel on our lives should encourage us to be good stewards of our political responsibilities. So we should have a social conscience. I'm not sure that the church is the place where that social conscience should be demonstrated. I think the job of the church is to, to teach Christians the gospel and to teach them to be good civil members of society. Where you get involved with the environment, with uh, pro-life issues, with uh, clean water issues, I think this is, this is, in, is primarily in the, in the civil sphere. And you know, one of the differences, say, between myself and Peter Lilbach uh, would be Pete would be very much in favor of being involved in political protest as a minister of the gospel. Now, I'm a minister too. Uh, I'm very comfortable with the idea of political protest, but when I engage politically, I do it as a, a member of civil society, if you like, not specifically as in my role as a minister. My role as a minister is very much focused on exposition of Scripture and preaching of the gospel. And I think that was one of the errors that the church made in the early 20th century. It confused its task of preaching the gospel with the task of being effectively a political lobby group. 
And I think there's an important distinction to make there. The church in the UK, uh, is it, has the light of the gospel, is it, uh, the commitment to, to, uh, to faithful proclamation of the gospel, is it, is it all but gone in the church in the UK? And uh, what, what, if so, what precipitated it? And do you see any indications of the same thing happening here in the United States? Um, well, as, as a general comment, I think Christianity is in a, in a is in a pretty poor condition in Christian uh, in a, in in the United Kingdom. Obviously, the, it depends which particular areas you look at, and there are some very good and some very faithful churches. Almost everywhere you'll go, you'll be able to find some gospel church within a reasonable distance. Um, reasons for the collapse of of the church. Uh, it, it's a, a long and complicated story, but I think. Uh, one of the primary reasons was the, the establishment of the church. The fact that the Church of England was so closely linked to the state proved in the long run, I think, to be a powerful engine for, for secularization of the church. And I think the, in, in, in the U.S., the First Amendment and the way the First Amendment is, is generally speaking, applied has helped preserve the, the church from that kind of open secularization. My concern for, for secularization in the United States would be that if it's happened in a very overt way in the United Kingdom, it might happen in a more covert way in the U.S. I think, for example, of uh, preachers of prosperity doctrine. It, it looks like Christianity, but actually it's a very secular message. Um, I won't name names. I'm sure your listeners can, can put some names to the description I've given there. But I think if secularization happens here, it's less likely to happen with people just abandoning the church and perhaps more likely to happen with the church becoming just a, a, a secular vehicle in a religious idiom, if I could put it that way. Probably six months ago, I took the American flag and the Christian flag off the platform, preached a message on July 4th on why patriotism is incompatible with Christian worship. Am I, am I right or wrong? Um, well, again, I would want to make a distinction. I think patriotism is a good civic virtue. It is only proper that people have a certain loyalty and, uh, and, and take a certain pride in the land that gave them birth and has given them all their breaks and, uh, and is the place where they've been nurtured. I think one has to be careful about introducing patriotism too much into the church because the church is the church transcends nations. That's one of the great lessons of the New Testament, that there is now no Jew or Gentile. And so I think uh, uh, patriotism is, is, a, is a civic virtue, but one wouldn't want to make it overt in the church because then foreigners like myself, if you like, who love living in America and feel very grateful uh, to, be, to be permitted to, to live and to work here, would yet feel a bit uncomfortable if patriotism was, uh, or specifically American patriotism, was seen as a hallmark of being a good church member. It would be, it would be placing something, uh, placing a barrier to church membership or fellowship that isn't there in Scripture, and I think that's the critical thing. So I wouldn't want to denigrate patriotism. I'm patriotic right. myself about my homeland, but I wouldn't want to confuse it with the gospel. I'm all for a flag being on the uh, on the on the church property I'm just not for competing allegiances in the worship service and it seems that we have entangled ourselves not only with uh, with patriotism but to a much greater degree with with one side of the argument in our conservative evangelical churches and I just feel like it dilutes the gospel yeah 
Um, there are various forms of the social gospel. There are the liberal forms, and there are the conservative forms. Mm. And I think we need to be, particularly in the, in the theologically conservative world that, that you and I live in, we need to be particularly, we're not likely to be taken in by the liberal social gospel. So we have to be careful that we aren't taken in by the conservative social gospel either. I talk about, you know, politics on this program all the time. But as Christians, how do we keep the main thing the main thing? And what is the main thing? Well, in the church, the main thing is the gospel. Uh, in our lives, I think it's important to, to remind ourselves uh, of a number of, of basic biblical truths. One, we know that the church is the meaning of history and the church is going to win. We're not quite sure how we're going to get there, but New Testament teaching is very clear that the gates of hell will not prevail. Secondly, I think we have to realize that, that God is in control. Uh, whoever gets elected, there's a sense in which God has placed them there. Thirdly, I think uh, as, uh, as, as citizens, we need to realize that there is a certain respect and obedience owed to the civil magistrate, which is clearly taught in Scripture. Paul teaches it. Um, fourthly, I think we need to understand that that does not mean abject obedience to everything that our civil rulers throw at us, if you like. But it does mean that there are certain appropriate ways of, of protesting and expressing our dissent and certain inappropriate ways of dissenting and expressing our, our protest. Um, for example, I think uh, screaming and shouting abuse at, a, at an elected official, whether left or right, uh, not an appropriate way for a Christian to behave. Um, expressing dissent in a, in a civil polite, firm, and uncompromised manner, that's perfectly acceptable. We live in a democracy. We're entitled to express our dissenting opinions. We just need to make sure that we don't do it in a way that brings dishonor to the name of Christ. This uh, is a very important book, and I want to encourage everyone in the audience to get it, Republocrat, Confessions of a Liberal Conservative. Dr. Carl Truman, uh, the author, and uh, he's the professor of historical theology and church history at Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia. And uh, if you were closer to home, uh, uh, Dr. Truman, uh, I would invite you to go with my son and I to Ann Arbor to see Dylan. I would love to come. <laughs> <laughs> I've I thoroughly enjoyed Roger Waters in the wall in a couple of weeks down at the, uh, the, the, the center in Philadelphia. Well, that's awesome. Uh, I, hopefully Dylan will be coming to your neck of the woods pretty soon. I hope so. Dr. Truman, it's been an honor to chat with you, and we look forward to doing it again. It's a real pleasure. Thanks very much for having me on, Paul. Here's the update from The Ideal Depot. It's February, and time for parents to make that all-important decision to pick a school for fall. It can be a money challenge at times, so here's the answer. 50% off tuition vouchers. Franklin Road Christian School in Novi stepped up with one 50% discount on annual tuition. So one deserving student can now enroll at Franklin Road Christian School. They, of course, are located on the beautiful campus of Brightmoor Church in Novi. Usually $8,350, you can get that same voucher for $4,175 right now, but only at TheIdealDepot.com. Remember, there's just one 50% voucher and it will go quickly. As always, important restrictions apply, so go to TheIdealDepot.com. Review these carefully. It's a one-half off tuition for one deserving student at Franklin Road Christian School, only at TheIdealDepot.com. Hi. 
Hi, this is Pastor Brian Edwards, and I'd like to invite you to tune in to the Saints Perspective broadcast every Saturday afternoon at 1 for practical life application. Yes, the Bible is relevant to your situation, so every Saturday at 1 on Faith Talk 1500, listen to the Saints Perspective broadcast. So every Saturday at 1 o'clock, tune in to the Saints Perspective broadcast. God bless you. Did you want the best rates on term life insurance? Now you can protect your family with $250,000 or more in term life insurance coverage and save up to 75%. Rates are lower than they have ever been. Call now for your free term life insurance quote. 800-989-1415. 800-989-1415. 800-989-1415. This is Daryl Wood here to sing the praises of my pillow. It's the remarkably comfortable pillow filled with interlocking microfibers which conform to the shape of my neck. This custom-made pillow was designed with my sleep style in mind and is measured to fit my body to a T. It's great for my neck and spine, and instead of the two down pillows I was using, I now only need my pillow to enjoy deep, restful sleep. My pillow is made in Minnesota, and there's a great deal going on now. Buy one custom my pillow and get the second one free. Write down the phone number and my special promo code for massive savings. Call 800 919 5912. 800 919 5912. Or go to MyPillow.com and enter the promo code RUNTOWIN at checkout. Order yours now, 800-919-5912. Or go to MyPillow.com and use promo code RUNTOWIN at checkout. Forty-five minutes after the hour, Good Friday with Paul Edwards. The uh, Oscars will air this coming Sunday evening on ABC, beginning at seven o'clock p.m. I can't tell you that I'll be sitting uh, in front of my TV watching the Oscars, but uh, but the Oscars coming up this weekend does give me the opportunity to tell you that I I don't like I don't like mainstream films with Christian themes. 866-423-9578, 866-423-WLQV, the number to disagree with me. You know, you think of, you think of uh, and I've got my fingers in the air with the quotes, uh, Christian films uh, that have come out in the last several years, The Passion of the Christ Comes to Mind, Fireproof, um, Courageous, Facing the Giants, man, that one's probably a good decade old, uh, more recently, God's Not Dead. Um, none of these movies really, uh, in in my humble opinion, and and I'm not a you know I'm not a movie critic. Maybe we need to uh, uh, to get my friend Chris Williams on the phone. Hey, Chris, if you're listening, now would be a good time to call eight six six four two three ninety five seventy eight. It just seems like Hollywood has a very difficult time getting getting the gospel right for starters but then it, the the christian genre of film in in and again i'm talking in mainstream mainstream film always comes across uh, a little tilted to the syrupy side f- for for my tastes 
Um, you know, Christians, we we Christians, we don't like our our movies with bad language, uh, with nudity, with violence, with blood, and yet the reality is bad language, nudity, violence, and blood, and you know the list goes on and on and on. Uh, the the kind of things that that are in mainstream movies that are offensive to Christians. The reality is those things are real life. And for my part, I just think that that many times Christian film, and again, mainstream Christian film, films that are are produced for the masses, not just for the church, but for public consumption, ends up whitewashing the reality of life because Christian audiences want a certain a certain content, uh, dare I say, a certain benign content that that yeah you can you can paint a tragic picture but don't do it with blood you can paint a broken home but don't do it with spousal abuse don't do it with anybody getting hurt uh and certainly don't do it if your movie is going to get an r rating or worse and for me those kind of movies just aren't real they they just they, they just are not real um for me, I'll I give you one example of a movie that, that is, is not a Christian movie, but Daniel Day-Lewis is one of my favorite actors. Daniel Day-Lewis in There Will Be Blood, that movie, that movie puts on display the gospel in, in a covert kind of way, in an, in an underhanded kind of way. That, uh, that mainstream Christian films ought to learn from. And I don't have the time uh, now to go into uh, an explanation of the movie There Will Be Blood. Uh, might I encourage you to uh, rent the movie uh, at some point and watch it? Uh, please be aware that it does have an R rating, however. But it, movies like that that are not targeted to Christian audiences, I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Movies that are mainstream, not, not intentionally targeted to, uh, to a Christian audience, sometimes do a better job of displaying the gospel than the overt efforts, the on-purpose efforts of, of creating a quote-unquote Christian film. Uh, there's a new movie out. Which is getting a lot of uh, a lot of uh, positive feedback from the Christian community, and of course, I'm speaking of Risen, uh, and Joseph Fines is the lead. Uh, he plays a Roman a Roman uh, tribune named Clavius, who is charged with uh, the responsibility by Pilate of finding the body of Christ. Um, Eric Metaxas at Breakpoint says of the movie, it's a respectful and riveting portrayal of the gospel accounts. It shows an unbeliever's crisis of faith when confronted by the risen Lord. Now, I, I've not seen this movie yet, but again, this, this seems to me to be the kind of movie that is targeted to a Christian audience. I, I don't know if you're going to attract a secular audience to see a movie like this I mean, this is kind of a throwback to the Ben-Hur Ten Commandments days, in, in my humble opinion. 
WLQV, the phone number to engage. And to the phones we go, Kevin in Sterling Heights, thanks for calling. Welcome. Hey, Paul, how you doing? Good, how are you? I, I, I'm going to give you four movies that I think are the ideal Christian films, and you tell me what your opinion of that is. One is uh, The Apostle, which was a Robert Duvall film about a pastor who had a hard time uh, dealing with certain sin issues, I think. Yep. Um, another one was A Blind Side, which I thought was a great film about, you know, football and, and uh, struggling. Um, another one was uh, um, Broken. Is it Broken, the uh, the story of the World War II first un- un- war? Unbroken. Uh... Unbroken. I'm sorry. He was broken, but it is unbroken is the name of it which I thought was uh, it wasn't Christian enough probably for a lot of people's liking, but I, I thought it told the story of a man of faith very well. And The movie, um, the movie uh, Unbroken, I've not seen, but I did read the book, uh, and I, I heard that the movie didn't quite do the book justice. Right, it didn't. It didn't bring enough, enough of his faith into the, the film, which was an Angelina Jolie decision. But... Ultimately, uh, and the, the last one was End of the Spear, which was about uh, uh, um, Jim, Jim Elliott, the four missionaries, five yeah. missionaries. Right. Those, to me, those stories were worth telling on film. Uh, it's impossible to visualize, to me at least, the Bible uh, and, and make it live. Uh, and it kind of wrecks my reading of the Bible to see the Bible on film. Because my image in my mind has such a, a much deeper sense of what's going on than what any actor could portray. So I, I, uh, I can't think of a single biblical-based film, and, and I love Paul, and, and, I, and I would love to see, I mean, obviously there are heroes in the Bible whose story, Jonah, I would love to see, but... But ultimately, I'm kind of glad, or I would like to see them ignored and let let us let them live in our in our heads and not on the on the silver screen. You know, the apostle I saw and I loved it. Robert Duvall uh, was excellent in that film, and th- those are that film. Kevin is exactly the kind of film that I'm talking about. That it, while it has a Christian theme, it displays the dark side of the Christian life. Uh, the reality of the total depravity of a human being uh, in order to paint the glory of God so much brighter when, you know, when, when the, um, when the resolution takes place, when, when the movie, re- when the movie re- re- resolves um, the blind side, you know, Michael Moore, uh, Michael Moore, Michael Orr was in the Super Bowl, And before the Super Bowl, he told an interviewer that he never liked that movie until maybe a, a, a year or so ago, but he, he felt like, it just painted a a poor picture of of the reality of what he had gone through, uh, and and kind of made more syrupy the the Christian charity and and so forth uh, from the Tui side of things. So um, I, I think you've I think you've mentioned four films there that all do a quality job in one way or another of, of portraying Christian values. But if I had to pick the, the my favorite out of all of them, uh, it would be it would be the Apostle. Got to get a break here, Kevin. I appreciate your call. 55 minutes after the hour. Quick break. More when Good Friday continues. 
Education planning resources will explain a very real and expensive situation. 95% of families overpay for college. That's an astounding number of families that could benefit from education planning resources on how to avoid this for free. That's right, for free. Their process is educational. There's no charge for meeting with families and implement financial strategies that reduce college costs. This translates to huge savings for families. Each family receives a personal strategy which can be time-based to prepare you and your children throughout their high school years. EPR will show you how to choose schools offering the best financial aid if required. Why an expensive private university can actually cost less out of pocket than a state college. How to take advantage of multi-child discounts even if they attend different universities. These are just some of the great benefits from working with education planning resources. Call today for college planning, reducing costs and opening doors to the future. 248-359-8300. That's 248-359-8300. Hi, this is Pastor Dan McGee from Grace and Truth Radio, and I'd like to personally invite you to join me each day, Monday through Friday at 1130 a.m. for verse-by-verse teaching right through God's Word. We'd love for you to join us right here on Faith Talk 1500. Listen to Grace and Truth, weekday mornings at 1130 on Faith Talk 1500. Catch the podcast anytime at faithtalk1500.com. Alex Chediak is a college professor, and he knows what he's talking about when he says there are ways to go to college while minimizing debt. On the next Focus on the Family, he'll offer wisdom and practical advice for both parents and young adults. That's next time on Focus on the Family with Jim Daly. Listen to Focus on the Family, weekday mornings at 9.30 on Faith Talk 1500. Do you have a family member who's getting older and can no longer be safely left alone? With Visiting Angels America's Choice in Senior Home Care, your parents and older family members can continue living at home and not have to move into a nursing home. Experienced, compassionate caregivers provide assistance in hygiene, meal preparation, and light housework up to 24 hours per day at affordable rates. To restore your family's peace of mind, call Visiting Angels toll-free today at 877-374-LIVE or at visitingangels.com. This February, prepare to witness the miracle that changed the world forever. The Nazarene city rise again after three days. Through the eyes of a non-believer. Risen, starring Joseph Fiennes. The tomb is sealed, guarded with your life. The most important manhunt in history was just beginning. The body has vanished. His tomb is empty. What else is gone? You tell me. Risen, rated PG-13. May be inappropriate for children under 13. Now playing. For tickets and showtimes, go to risen-movie.com. Fifty-eight minutes after the hour, we've got a top-of-the-hour break coming up here, but I'd love to continue this conversation about movies and the Oscars, Christian movies, Christian themes and movies. Gary's on the line. I want you to hold Gary through the uh, top-of-the-hour break, and we're going to get to you first when uh, when we continue here on Good Friday. 866-423-9578 for the rest of you to uh, get in the queue and join the conversation about Christian movies and the Oscars. The Oscars coming up on ABC Sunday night. Are you being denied credit? Are you paying high interest rates? At CreditRepair.com, we know life happens. Divorce, medical bills, student loans, and many other reasons why credit scores fall. That's why at CreditRepair.com, we're committed to helping folks get the second chance they deserve to improve their credit. CreditRepair.com is actually acting as 